0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, hello. Welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guest will be sharing his journey of recovery from active addiction. Uh, I'd like to welcome Rich to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Um, as a member of Narcotics Anonymous, he's going to share his, his experience with drug addiction and how Narcotics Anonymous has helped him. Him. Uh, now, Rich, usually we, we start talking about... Um, Growing up and what life was like before you started drinking and taking drugs. So, um, how, how did it all start for you? What was a family life like?
1: Yeah, I had a great family life. Uh, really happy memories of um, of my childhood. Um, so, I grew up. Uh, my father was uh, an Anglican minister, and my uh, my mother, um, albeit she had been a, a nurse at one stage, um, worked uh, with autistic children and. Um, I had a sister she was uh eighteen months still is eighteen months older than me and um really really happy uh yeah happy home um you know a lot of love i uh, really really enjoyed my my early days and um you know particularly liked primary school um i was a pretty inclusive kid uh you know did reasonably well academically and i just loved sport um so anything you know in relation in relation to sport and you know, footy, cricket, tennis, um, you name it. So really happy, happy memories. Um, I mean, the one thing, um, if, if retrospectively I, I can think of, that that may have had an influence on, um, on my disease was um, just felt a little bit different from, in that, um, you know, dad's, uh, I suppose, spirituality, um, you know, it, it made me feel a little bit different from, you know, sort of my dad was the priest. So, um, but yeah, like um, I didn't, i didn't really understand have any understanding or appreciation for his um, spirituality at that point in time um, but yeah it was uh, for the most part really really happy He had a good relationship with my sister you know she was um, she was a really caring older sister and um yeah always uh, you know always happy times really happy happy memories
0: right yeah. so when did you um i think you got into alcohol first so how did that how did you start drinking
1: yeah look i um after primary school i went to um, I went to a high school uh, in town, and um, it was a private school, and um, I really, I, I really had these these initial feelings of um, of feeling sort of lesser than and, and different from. Like I was sort of, you know, one of the one of the odd ones out. Um, you know, we we didn't have a particularly affluent upbringing, and um, you know, this school was uh, was was pretty affluent to say the least. And um, I. Um, you know, I was I was pretty good, again, academically um, and I fit in, you know, well in the playground and I love my sport but I just sort of had this had pretty low self-esteem and um, I remember the first time I drank, um, I would have been around 13 and, um, like, I drank to blackout the first time I drank right. um, and, um, you know, I remember the feeling was uh, I just felt outside myself so I, I, all that, that anxiety and... Um, you know that little bit of self-loathing, which was starting to emerge. Um, you know, again, I didn't really appreciate that at the time, of course, but I just I felt this sense of yeah of just being able to let go. Um, but secondary to that, um, I was quite scared, but because um, of, the, of the, what the consequences were, and that was me feeling horrendously sick, um, you know, being completely out of control. So um, after that, really, that first, the first drunk, um, you know, it wasn't particularly appealing to me.
0: Right. So um did you continue drinking yeah. with that bad experience or was yeah. that enough to <laughs> no that <it> wasn't <laughs> wake, wake you up?
1: <laughs> yeah, there was um when I was about sort of 16 I started to go to some parties in my local area. Um not not every weekend but you know a handful of times when I was sort of 16 and and 17 um you know I'd go to those parties and I'd drink. Um Sometimes I'd drink to blackout, but most of the time I was just concerned about getting home and you know getting into bed and getting up and going on with my, you know, with my life. So really, and I did all right at school, um, you know. But there was that I, I just I was always just pretty pretty anxious, um, you know, at 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 high school, and um, I also was a pretty chronic what what we call I suppose in um, in in recovery terms a people pleaser. Um, yeah. You know, I really, because I had a really poor sense of of, of my own self worth. I really, um, you know, used things externally to me, such as you know, d- you know, relationships, friendships, and stuff, to to make myself feel good. And um, I wouldn't say I was a class clown, but I wasn't far off. Yeah. Um, and so. I was just always on that border of you know doing okay academically and contributing to the school in in a sporting sense, but also um, you know wanting to get a laugh out of my peers, which I suppose not that uncommon, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a real focus for me to give myself, self a sense, myself that sense of self worth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so with, I guess with others, um, a lot of people don't really understand people pleasing as such, but it it's about basically manipulating other people's opinion of you into a favourable sense so that you, um, so that you fit in. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And to give my, myself a, I suppose it was that. And, again, retrospectively, um, you know, I was pretty egocentric um, but, you know, didn't have any self-worth. So I had this sort of dynamic going on (laughs) where, um, you know, I I thought sometimes I was greater than and every every other time I was lesser than, you know, in that sense. Um, Yeah. But I... um, I finished year 12 and um, and that's when my using and, and drinking sort of really kicked off. I um, went to university and, um, you know, the culture was a drinking culture. It was a culture of smoking weed and, uh, you know, I was a binge drinker and, um, you, you know, I w- would do that really whenever I could. Um, and, you know, I sort of limped along at uni um, for a couple of years and, you know, I... Um, yeah, it, it, I became anxious at the thought of not being able to drink on the weekends or or maybe smoke weed on the weekends, um, and of course I was doing it during the week by this stage too, but um, yeah, I was working in you know, sort of part-time jobs, but um, my third year university, I just just didn't show up. I just decided, well, you know, I, I, I'd rather just sort of get stoned and, and, and drink, and um And then, as a result, like I had to face up at the end of the year, um, not really having told anyone, family, friends, anything, what was going on. And um, I was really lucky that they did let me back in and I completed, um, yeah, my my university
0: studies. So, what did your parents think at that point?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure because there was no honest and open communication around it because I was dishonest and that was the key. You know, I mean, I, um, yeah, I was very guarded in terms of my drinking and, and particularly you know my weed smoking from from my parents um there wasn't ever a lot of drinking that went on at home you know yeah. dad might have a a glass of wine here or there or a beer and mum didn't really drink at all nor was my sister a drinker so um like I felt quite ashamed I think of my drinking and using as well um but I think predominantly the shame was because of my dishonesty around it <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. so that was sort of the, the overwhelming emotion around there but I um I then finished university and I uh you know i I stayed in a job I was working in a in a bar restaurant and I had some great friends there um guys that i'd i had been to school with i lived with and um and been to university with and that was a really happy time carefree time um but my drinking really and my, my weed smoking that was the that that's what I did more or less on a daily basis um and uh you know there was no motivation to really move on in my life in in any other direction until um until a, a sort of a year of doing that and and i sort of was i guilted myself into um into looking for full time work and um i got a job um i got a job as a secondary school teacher actually which was one of um one of the components of, of my university degrees but i never went um i got a job um in uh yeah in in the commercial world um and and i decided that I'd go and do that and so sort of that was driven I think by sort of that easier softer way. Um you know, I thought this mm-hmm. it might not fulfil me but it's in a pretty pretty easy to make money doing this. Um and uh and, and since so, so very, very very early on into that role I felt at ease. I didn't really have to do a hell of a lot to get a good end result. Yep. To contribute to my employer and um and it also meant that I had money and um and that could fuel my weekend drinking, you know. Yeah. I um it's probably Maybe mention at this time that I didn't drink during the week. Um, As soon as I started work, full time work, I stopped smoking weed um, and I stopped drinking during the week. I just white knuckled it, and that would continue on for, you know, really the rest of my my drinking and using days uh, for the most part. Um, I was really just white knuckling it, you know, the whole way through the week to get to the weekend.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the things you were telling me earlier was we were talking about um, the fact that you didn't do any commerce. Uh, subjects at uni and here you are working in commerce is that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah like i did i didn't I mean the political science stuff and, and economics i did a little bit um okay. yeah, yeah at uni but um yeah it was more just the business world um it just made just sort of made sense to me the mechanics of it um because really it was just all about people in the end yeah. um yeah. like everything else in life and yeah. um like I because I was quite manipulative and controlling and um um I didn't know at that stage but my disease was cunning and baffling as well. Um I'd I'd make out this you know, to everyone this version of myself which was, you know, like the the, the pretty upstanding sort of, you know, business person and um the guy at the sporting club and all of that but You know, when I had my weekends, I'd um, I'd drink and use, um, you know, in an uncontrollable fashion because I was powerless over, you know, uh, over um, picking up a drink and a drug, Um, and uh, and this sort of went on. And what it did, it created a bit of distance, I think, um, in the relationship between um, my family, um, in that I was again ashamed of my drinking and using, so I wouldn't talk to them much about it. Um, Likewise with my sister, you know, I was a bit of ashamed about. Sort of what i i 'd get up to, which um, but again there, there was so much denial around that for, for myself, I thought it was okay, you know everyone else was doing it um, mm. but um you know when when I did it i um I did it properly, and um you know around around that time, I was exposed to recreational drugs, i' called party drugs, but predominantly ecstasy and mm. And then um sort of the, that club scene and um so I couldn't wait of course and you know, I, I was relatively productive during the week because um I was driven by a sense of fear and um and and also um a sense of achievement to give myself some self worth at work yeah. and, and, and the money that came with it and that, you know, that um that really sort of egocentric um you know, sense of self and um and then of course I'd party all weekend, I'd be useless on a Monday and um get myself together and knock out three and a half days of pretty pretty <laughs> solid work and, and, and crawl into the weekend again. And right, um,
0: Yeah. So were you mm-hmm. um did that sort of denial that is- did that lead to more isolation? Did that lead to more drug use? It 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 did
1: lead to more isolation in that, you know, on a Sunday after my, my binge it usually lasted on the Friday and then i I'd, I'd sort of you know would be into the sort of the saturday night and then I'd pass out I'd just want to be by myself on a, on a sunday and I'd be quite depressed um you know um and but it didn't my my using wasn't it did, didn't I wasn't isolating in the using at that stage It was still very social for me right. the, the drinking and um and the drug taking and um and that sort of continued on really for a significant amount of time so um, this is in your this is in your my tw- yeah, yeah, mid mid 20s up yeah. around then Look this week, and I had in terms of um, uh, relationships. I still had very close relationships with with my friends. Um, you know, really consistent, strong relationships with with a number of well, my friends. I'm still friends with today, luckily.
0: Did <laughs> um, they yeah. know you were using as much as you were?
1: Yeah, look, they they did. Um, but yes, I'd say that they did. I'd no. say they did, but they didn't probably see that. I don't know if they saw it as an issue or not. I'm yeah. just making assumptions, but yeah. I um, no, it wasn't overly hidden at that stage. No, it certainly wasn't hidden at that stage. Um, I then I'd had a couple of relationships in that stage of my life. It was one very significant one, and um, uh, I was engaged to be married. Um, you know, I'd sold uh, I'd sold this person, um, you know, a version of myself, which was um, that external version of myself. I had myself all together, and I was going okay at work and. Was a nice bloke, and you know, I was always pretty, um, pretty up, yeah, pretty up. That's right. And, um, and you know, I'd really temper my using and drinking, um, in relationships. Um, then, uh, unfortunately, uh, I was exposed um, to the first loss, um, of, of someone in active addiction, and, um, you know, that was uh, my partner's uh, brother. And, um, you know, I, um, we had, uh, taken we'd, we'd ask him to live with us um, he, he was struggling with um, with heroin addiction and um, uh, unfortunately um, you know he died he died in an accident but um, it was shortly before we were going to get married and you know naturally given the, the tragedy um, he was a wonderful human being and um, you know he uh, we just couldn't have a celebration of that magnitude you know shortly thereafter and um, but you know I I used that as an excuse to, to use. You know, I um I, I did and um you know that as much as we were grooving and that was um I didn't know how to groove, I had no you know, there's no healthy emotions going on for me. I was just concerned about my partner at the time and um but I, I used um you know, I used that as an excuse to, 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 to use to escape the, the pain and um
0: So yeah. what were you using at that point?
1: I was using predominantly cocaine. Okay. Um, so yeah, good thanks for the question bill i um i sort of yeah really transferred my drug of choice from ecstasy to cocaine by that stage um and that would become my drug of choice for um until really i um you know i found i found recovery um right yeah but um Mm -hmm. it's a really traumatic time and um i was mentioning to you earlier i mean it was only my sponsor who only very recently um with his experience with growth growth and loss and um yeah, you know, his wonderful contribution that he's made to my life that um I could grove um you know could grove this person and um yeah but I sort of pushed that under the carpet at that
0: time and went on with my life. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, okay. So um, I think at that point also you were looking to change work and what some people call a geographical you know move around a bit uh change things and try and um get control of your life was that what you were trying to do when you changed jobs or was it
1: no it was it it was perhaps it was um but at the time i i just i just wanted to do something new and um be outside of a bigger corporate environment uh and look i came across the opportunity really by chance um and I really identified with um, with the gentleman who was running the organisation, which he'd have he'd have a big impact on my life too. Um, you know, a great guy, and um, I decided to, to start working. And I mean, there was a very social element to uh, to, to the role. Um, I would really just fly around um, the country, or or go and see clients. A lot of dinners, a lot of weekends away, and um, you know, it'd go one or two ways for me. I would um, I would drink, and I would would would, would, would drink a lot, and I'd, I'd be. You know pretty much useless the next day whatever we were doing in my poor business but you maybe know, my colleague had to front up um he's a very consistent guy and um uh or I would white knuckle it and not drink and um you know and that I'd get this overwhelming sense of joy um you know uh when I'd either be coming home from a work trip or you know, instead of that impending sense of doom, um, you know, that the alcoholic, alcoholic and addict can get when they wake up having drunk or used again um, and, and telling myself, of course, I'd never do it again. But um, yeah. <clears throat> this sort of created... I, I, look, I really I really did enjoy um, what I did. I, I loved the industry within which I worked and um, I loved I loved the majority of people in this industry. It was a, It's a wonderful industry and um, I really enjoyed working with... Um, you know with my boss and and the people at work, I just uh, I would continue on if I had a weekend to myself, um, continue on having these massive blowouts and of course, I'd justify it by saying, "Oh you know everything's you know going well with work and you know everything's okay mm. and it's you know, <clears throat> just that dishonesty with self and and of course others as well um, you know and spending ridiculous amounts of money on on drugs as well and that had an impact you know from a guilt shame, remorse point of view but um, yeah that was uh, that sort of continued continued on in that in that vein. Just sort of became Groundhog Month, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I think we're probably up to uh, a break. Uh, welcome back to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on your digital radio. I'm pleased to be able to advise you that we are now podcasting our shows, and we have 12 recent episodes available on the Living Free webpage, uh, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free, and they're also available on iTunes. I'll be podcasting each new show, and also progressively including our earlier shows as time permits. You can also contact us on 3 gmail.com if you want to ask a comment, uh, ask a question, or comment on the show. Uh, we also do uh, a few announcements at this point. There's just one that I've got. Uh, it's about a panel discussion: principles and frameworks for accountability. It's hosted by Undercurrent Victoria, Monday, 30th of October, 2016, 33 Saxon Street, Brunswick. Victoria 3056 630 to 9 p.m. It's a panel discussion and we'll engage in the various frameworks used to approach individual and community accountability and change. Drawing from extensive experience in diverse fields, each speaker will present on different ideas and strategies on accountability. There are both overlaps and tensions between these different principles and frameworks, and we hope to create a generative space to share and value diverse ways of thinking about accountability. So it's about prisons, it's about family violence, it's about uh, gender violence, it's about human rights, and so, um, anyway, so pick that up if, you, if you'd like. Um, today I'm talking to uh, Rich, uh, and Rich is a recovered, recovering drug addict and a member of Narcotics Anonymous, and we're talking about the um, his, his story and his, his recovery experience um, so when we left off um, things are going pretty well um, late late 20s early 30s um, things are pretty successful life's going pretty well you've got a pretty good job you're using cocaine well um, so how how did it happen what, what happened after that? Um, cause usually it's this, you know, curve upwards, then it sort of plateaus at the top and then, then we get the curve down where the drugs don't really start or don't really do what they used to do. So, um, you seem to be pretty much at the apex now. So how's life?
1: Yeah, I suppose it was, the apex was an external apex, but the, the internally it was always pretty, pretty average. <laughs> um, but yeah, I understand, I understand, um, what you mean by that bill and, it was just that sort of deep levels of denial um you know created um by my external world and um and then um yeah I was just sort of really drifting along you know I was in my mid 30s I was really drifting along not a lot of purpose um I'd had another relationship which um ended as a result of my dishonesty really and my and my using just that and when I say dishonesty, um, it's just that real dishonesty with self. I could never really get close to anyone. Um, I was of, uh, incapable of, incapable um, of, of giving really any love or receiving it. And um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of guilt shame remorse around another relationship there as well with a really nice person. And then, um, you know, I my my using sort of ramped up after that on the weekends and um and then through um really close mutual friends um i met my ex wife and um and you know things things were good um for a while albeit um you know things internally with me weren't weren't <laughs> weren't that good um you know I, I and you know i really identify with uh, a lot of the literature i read um in recovery and um you know it, it reminds me of um dominance and dependence you know i was really dependent emotionally on my ex-wife Um, uh, really dependent um and um she was a good she is a good person an honest person and um you know she, she um she was what i was looking for i needed someone to take care of me emotionally because i was really i was really a teenager in many respects mm. in terms of um you know where i was emotionally in my life and um <clears throat> But then I used sort of the, the charm and this whole idea and the concept of who I was um, you know um, externally to, to to sort of you know sell myself um, um, which was you know um, something that I did to to try and get by in the world and um, and we we got married um and shortly after we got married um I started a business um, you know with um with uh with with my boss um and and that went really well with with a number, many many other people involved as well you know joint venture partners and stuff and um really great people and um at that 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 came as a result of um some turmoil with the previous employer and um and things were going you know things were going really well um you know again from a, from a business point of view and um and you know but I was still dishonest and I was still using when i could and um, and it created there were fragments um, there were cracks um, starting to appear um, you know because um you know my my wife was becoming really frustrated and i'm sure my you know my, my, my business partner was becoming very frustrated um you know both two really good people um trying to trying to live um, you know with with an addict and yeah. um <clears throat> You know, uh I, um so pretty untenable situation for them. But um you know, I, I just was full of fear, anxiety, um but again this, this the predominant sort of feeling um was I was I was really egocentric with an inferiority complex. You know, I had um I had this um really, really low poor opinion of myself and I just used everything I could externally to try and mask that. Um And, um, you know, that was, um, that was creating, uh, situations where I started to use, I started to isolate and use by myself and, um, really wouldn't do anything. I'd just sit around being, you know, being high and, um, just escaping that, escaping life really. Um,
0: So how how did that affect your finances?
1: Yeah. It had a fairly predominant impact. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. To say the least. Um, but you know, like I, you know, inverted commas got away with it because I was hiding money. There was money going into you know a separate account that I had, and it was just that dishonesty. It was just the guilt, shame, and remorse around that was crippling. You know, um, but again, I, I justified to myself. I was, "Oh well, I'm you know I'm paying the mortgage, and I'm you know doing this and that," and um, it was just you know just such a dishonest way of living. Um, and um, but given that um, you know the business projections were you know pretty good, I just thought oh, I'll work and you know, use as much as I want with no real financial consequences down the track. Um, and uh, it was just just the insanity of the disease in my
0: thinking. You know, I was very, very unwell. Um, yeah. yeah. So how did your relationship with your to-be-wife go? And, you know, how did you manage to get married when you were still...
1: Yeah, using- I, I would just, you know, brush off these, these these big blowouts, you know, the big binges um and again, like I was so manipulative around it, and everything was going to be okay and and also um it was it was her you know really overwhelmingly strong support um for me you know i can I can see it so clearly now um you know i, I went to a psychologist and psychiatrist, and she was so supportive around that you know I remember we went to relationship counseling once as a result of you know my dishonesty around my using and um I remember um, us having a discussion with this particular psychologist who's was the relationship counsellor and, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't um, unfaithful towards my ex-partner, but um, the way in which she described her feelings and emotions around it was as I was having an affair with, you know, with, with, with cocaine yeah. and um, that was her truth and um, I remember hearing that and just thinking, wow, you know, what, and that guilt, shame, remorse, I just went headlong into that, but... Um, did I change my behaviors no i didn't because i I was powerless you know it was just cunning and baffling and um you know again id 'd have these i 'd try and white knuckle it and i 'd get through you know another month or a few weeks or whatever and yeah. then um out of nowhere i would just i would just pick up and um you know and always lie about it and um yeah it was just uh i cannot imagine you know living with me at that time mm. um you know we um as a result of of my behavior um you know, there were cracks were really starting to appear, and um, and then a couple of things happened around that time. Um, what we conceived, and um, you know, I remember when we found out that my daughter was going to we, we, we were you know hopefully um, going to have a have a child. Um, just this sense of overwhelming relief that I felt. It was just I felt I'm I'm cured you know there is no way that i'm 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 going to use again or you know drink uncontrollably again um you know with with my wife pregnant and certainly not when we have a child you know i just this was just uh it was the first time i thought right i've got hope that i won't you know <laughs> i won't drink in use um that was my first sense of hope around a, a different life a new life um and of course at that time i had no idea of, of how, to, how to, to, bring to, just to bring it about, how yeah. to live in the solution, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. but um, so that happened and then um, a few months after that, you know, business was going really well and we had some um, legal proceedings issued against us in in a commercial sense and um, and that created uh, a lot of anxiety on the home front, um, a lot of anxiety in general, like a massive amount of anxiety for, for everyone involved. Um,
0: yeah. So what did that mean? You You yeah. were likely to lose we
1: We were potentially likely to lose everything you know to um uh, having said that at the time we, we didn 't think that was a possibility you know yeah. we just thought it was you know a, a, a company spending you know the money they had to try and to try and get us out of the marketplace and um and there didn 't really seem to be they didn 't really seem to have much of a case and this is what we 're being told of course um you know by the legal profession and so I sort of brushed that aside, everything's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. But really it was I was you know, I was very, very anxious and um and that created this you know, this vacuum of uncertainty for myself, for um you know, my business partner, um uh and primarily for for, for, for my ex wife who, you know, is dealing with the, the the hell of trying to, you know, trying to live with an inconsistent, you know, drug addict, um an alcoholic and um, you know, is pregnant um and doesn't know what's going on with their financial situation and um you know so um, she did remarkably well throughout that period and then um you know, my daughter was born, and um you know again everything was everything was solved, all my problems were solved um she was healthy um just overwhelming sense of gratitude really for the first time in my life, just generally really grateful for life and um you know i um I remember coming home from work and I would just, you know, walk her around the house, um, you know, and, uh, um, yeah, just everything was okay. You know? Yeah. Everything was okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so if... I was, I was sort of going back when you said your wife was very supportive and mm. part of, you know, having grown up in an alcoholic situation, part of the problem in the family is if the family props the drinker the drinker continues because they don't have to face the consequences of their drinking mm. so do you think you know in looking back at your life that people propped you and enabled you to continue the the
1: there was there was a certain sense of that um possibly because maybe they thought like really i was worth propping up you know i i mean it's clear that my family thought that way it's clear that um you know my business partner thought that way and um it, through her actions it was clear that I mean you know my ex-wife was doing yeah as you say everything everything that she thought um w- would potentially get me well you
0: would know? help me yeah. Yeah. yeah would help me get well yes
1: yeah. yeah. so yeah i, I suppose yeah. in that you know, in that context um yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah yep yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. um so eventually you started using again on an ongoing basis. So that must have put a lot of pressure on your relationship with your wife.
1: Yeah, it, that was the greatest strain. Um, you know, I'd start... Um, I'd stay back at work and, you know, I'd use by myself. I'd come home clearly drug-affected. Um, you know, my daughter was in bed, so, you know, I thought I didn't have to face the consequences of, you know, any of that. And, um, like, it was just... I was I was insane, you know. Um, I... um I, I I convinced myself like I needed it with all this pressure going on and um and then you know the, I remember that first time that I used after Sarah was born like the guilt shame remorse was so crippling you know yet it, it was just this you know dichotomy of thought where I oh now I've got to use again to get myself out of this headspace you know I'm just I was crazy and um you know the pressure of yeah there was a lot of pressure um. You know, from a work point of view, but I didn't use because you know I I had commercial litigation going on because you know of my ex wife because I was a new father. Um, for any of that, I used and I drank because I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic, and um, I was powerless over my disease. Um, at, around this time, a um, bit bit further on down the track, Sarah was a bit older, and um, you know it was clearly I had to leave home. It was you know clear to both of us um you know with my you know odd moments of clarity um and we discussed you know we discussed this and um and like the fear around that and the guilt shame remorse around that you know I first started having suicidal thoughts and um you know I was I'd I'd go into this process of justification where well, you know like I'm insured and I've got a bit of super so you know that'll help um that'll help you know um my ex-wife and sarah in some way and um you know i was just crazy um i was really crazy and um and then yeah i left i ended up leaving home it was a really bad binge it was an awful you know some just horrific and um you know like i um you know i I really am so grateful um you know to my ex-wife for having the courage to do that um and you know, but I, I, I was so deeply in you know self centered fear and self pity, um, you know, a lot of self pity going on. You know, poor me. Um, you know, only if you knew my pain and all the all the stress in relation to this. You know, this litigation and what I was dealing with at work and all of that. It was just self pity and um, and 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 just the fear and and the self hate. Like it was a really um, traumatic. Um, time in everyone's life you know the the stress that i put on my parents on my sister you know um my parents and my sister were so incredibly supportive you know my um my sister thereafter would often have me you know stay at her place um and um and, and have my daughter stay over um you know she's a wonderful support um all my friends you know were incredibly supportive um as they always had been you know around my around my issues which were you know always in some way related to um you know my 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 using, right. using and drinking um I had a lot of support, um, but what i didn't have was at that stage was surrender you know i didn't have that what I now know is that that gift of desperation and that true surrender and um I went along to my first n a meeting um around that time just uh, just prior to prior to leaving home uh, mm. the family home but um and I went to a, a meeting on a sunday night um you know for four meetings and of course um the my sanity <laughs> you know, told me that I was cured and I was okay. Um, yeah. you know, my experiences with white-knuckling it, you know, not drinking during the week or only having one or two, hit, you know, that, 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 that was the predominant thought. Um, and, um, and then from there, things got worse.
0: Right, yeah. okay. Okay, probably a good time to have a break. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio, uh, 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Rich about recovery in Narcotics Anonymous, Um, and we've sort of got up to the point where you've been to a couple of NA meetings, but you decided not to go back because you were cured. Um, So what happens next?
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't cured, um, funnily (laughs) enough. And... um, you know, at this time now, I'd moved out of the family home. Um, I was seeing my daughter, my, my ex-wife, who's very supportive of that. Um, and uh, a few months after um, I was living in a, in, in a new place, um, I came across a drug I hadn't used before, and that was ice. And um, uh, that resulted in me having an enormous binge, um, I at the end of that binge I received a phone call from um you know my wife's best mate uh who is incredible support to me as well throughout um you know all the all the trauma that was taking place not only my my wife and my daughter but me me too and she suggested I might want to go to rehab and um that was just you know the, the tipping point um uh I thought at that time you know I um I told everyone you know I told my business partner and um and um and others at work um you know uh and everyone else what you know what's going on my, my 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 really close friends um are always so supportive they did a bit of research um they helped me through that period and, and got me into rehab and um along with my family and uh and but you know I had, there had a lot going on external to um to to me in that rehab you know there was the commercial litigation going on and a business happening and um and my daughter out there, and and, and life in general, and, and I was untouchable at that time. Um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't gotten to my what I call my gift of desperation, um, and I just I I, I I tried I think as best I could to um, to take some of the things in, um, but I just didn't let go, and I, there was no what we call surrender there, and um, uh,
0: and so why were you unreachable?
1: Yeah, I just wasn't desperate enough. I don't think at that yeah. time. Um, and again, my 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 ego um, in relation to me being able to control my life and control everything around me, um, I, I I just had again. I was I, I was I was crazy. So I um I had no concept of of of, of, of trying to let go and follow a, a process. Um, I did go to meetings for a reasonable amount of time after i attended that first rehab um and then i went back to work and the the first week i went back to work um the first social situation i drank and i used and um i remember ringing my ex-wife at the time who again was very supportive um and said okay thanks for telling me and um you know from there we went through a process of mediation um regarding you know my access with sarah um i was working desperately trying not to drink um I had a couple of you know, I picked up a drink a couple of times in a period of you know a few months there. Um, then later on that year, um, I mean, I wasn't going to meetings. I had no concept of really what recovery was about at all. Um, and um, I think I'd failed. I, I when I would pick up my my daughter, I um I'd do drug tests and I'd failed a couple. Um you know, it was a sort of boy cried wolf situation with some um, cold and flu tablets and um you know I think that was um that was sort of the um you know breaking point for my ex-wife and she decided that uh I I wouldn't see my my daughter um and um I went through a period of about six months um I didn't see her um there was you know the the court case going on at work um I I was absolutely paralyzed a, a couple of weeks after not seeing my daughter and um I um, That set me into a deep spiral of depression. Um, I would rarely leave the house. I mean, I went to work here and there a few times when I absolutely needed to, but I, I just didn't leave the house. So I was suicidal. Um, my mates desperately tried, you know, um, to to call me, to drop in. I didn't want to see anyone. If I wanted to talk to anyone, it was always on my terms and I was just breaking down, um, likewise with my family and my sister. And, um, and then in the space of a couple of weeks, um, you know, uh, I, I got... You know, I got bad news around the commercial side of things but, um, you know, I, I didn't care about that at that time. Um, I got worse news, um, you know, uh, in regards to um, the, the custody with my daughter. It just seemed an untenable situation, really. There was some communication between myself and my ex-wife and um, and as a result of that communication, um, you know, communication which, which, which was clearly as a result of all the emotional, um, you know, Trauma I would placed on on my ex wife and that situation. I mean, that was um, it was all due to due to all you know to my part in it. Um, and I, I convinced myself because I was really depressed and crazy. I'd never see my daughter again, and that life really wasn't worth living. And um, you know, when I when I arrived at that point, I I can remember really clearly thinking, well, okay, I'll, I'm again I'm insured. I've got to be a little bit of super, so I'll um, uh, you know <laughs> that might might. My, 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 provide a, some contribution towards my, my daughter's life. Um and she'll just think that dad died an addict and he couldn't help it, he was a drug addict. And I, I was gonna I, I really had made plans at that stage to, you know, to, to 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 end my life and um that was my gift of desperation what we um we in recovery um refer to or some of us refer to as our gift of desperation and um you know it was it was the thought of my, my daughter growing up without a dad and um you know, um
0: so did you mm-hmm. um, did you go on one last bender? Is that oh, people often do before yeah. they recover?
1: So th- thanks, Bill. Like um, I, I, it was the towards the end of the bender that I was suicidal. That yeah. so I'd um, I picked up shortly after, um, you know, reading the correspondence um, regarding you know my daughter and. Um, and, you know, I um I used a combination of, of of ice and cocaine. Um it the binge lasted for you know, there were four four or five binges lasted for about six weeks and um then um you know, everyone was doing their best. My my, my parents, you know, I would not have made it through without, you know, my parents' support and um and the support of my mates and um and you know, and and, and my sister and um you know, they were just beside themselves. Um naturally and um and you know i could no one you know no one could get through to me and I, I had two numbers in my phone from um you know a guy that i did a lot of meetings with um after i got out of that first rehab and um and another gentleman who worked in that rehab and uh and they both took my call and they both said mate you, you know what you got to do you get to go back to rehab and um and you know um i did that and um like, I, I was hopeless and desperate. I was broken. Um, you know, I'd lost, you know, it, everything in my life that gave me my sense of self-worth. And, you know, primarily that was a relationship with my daughter. Um, you know, it was my um, my career. Um, you know, I was very, very lucky not to lose, you know, relationships with, with my family um, and with my mates. You know, I remember, you know one of my mates saying you know, when I got out of rehab they were they were just at their wits end um and and that's when my recovery really started um you know I um So
0: so what did the recovery encompass then once so there's obviously a detox component yes and a meeting component
1: yeah, yeah. I detox really quickly um because I was a binger you know I didn't I didn't have a physical dependency on drugs I was never a daily user or a drinker so you know that that detox was sort of five five or six days um however, it was the emotional hell as opposed to the physical one you know yeah. i um i uh i was just broken and um and i decided I, I i really i had you know two choices really I could leave or I could stay there and i could and I could try and do what i was told and um and i did and you know my counselor in there um you know, fantastic person and um you know I, I trusted him i don't know why i just did and um you know like i told him um told him everything and um you know some of it was involuntary you know um but there was great comfort in that and you know he was a, a enormous support and, and that's when my surrender started um you know and you know i met people in there a couple of people who are still very close friends of mine today and um you know we we laughed at times we um you know um basically because we were probably crazy but also just that shared experience and it was the first time you know that the power of you know one addict alcoholic sharing with another um honestly yeah yeah. honestly that's right got got through and Mm. um and that was the change um and then you know the meetings we didn't although I was anxious and um you know I felt judged and I was judging myself initially um I I did what I what I was told to do I did the suggested things and um I stayed, you know, for in the rehab, and and I finished the program. I um I started going meetings, um, twice a day, when I left the rehab, um, and you know critically early on, I was told to get a, a temporary sponsor, um, find a sponsor, and I found one straight away, and who's to this day has an enormous impact on my life, um, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't only, you know find a sponsor and then uh, i followed through you know i caught him pretty much every day sometimes about little things sometimes about big things and um you know for me i'd had my last drunk and my last my last drug you know i'd I'd had that it was done you know it was just how to navigate my way through the pain you know for the most part and um you know he um he shared his experiences with me um some of them were remarkably similar others different but um you know, he was a, a great support in a, in a physical sense and an emotional sense. And um, like I started to have faith in the process, and um, I connected with others. You know, I talked to people at meetings. Um, you know, and um, and I started reading the literature. You know, I read the read the the basic text of of Narcotics Anonymous, the, the AA Big Book, and, and other you know other uh, other literature and um and i started doing other things i started trying to meditate i um it was suggested to me by my sponsor that you know i um i do a gratitude list each morning and send that to a number of people who um i connected with in the program and um and i started you know meditating on that and you know i wasn't grateful for a lot you know um ever in my life and you know the smaller things i really started to become grateful for and um you know it was practice like everything else um you know, I started to feel safe. You know, safe that you know I wouldn't create any more pain for the people that loved me, and um, you know, the, the the people that you know cared about me, and um, and and then you know the 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 greatest motivation um, was that I started seeing my daughter again. Wow,
0: yeah,
1: and um, yeah. that was pretty quickly, and um, you know, like um, it was very quickly, and uh, you know, there was an extreme amount of you know pain associated with that you know but um you know slowly I you know started to forgive myself and I realized that you know I, I had a disease and um and if I lived in the solution I knew how to treat it um I did other things that were suggested of me and that was um you know when I was six months clean and sober I started doing service um so I started going and sharing my experience strength and hope at rehabs and um and you know I also um a few months after that um as a result of sharing in a rehab um you know a a gentleman asked me to to sponsor him and um then that was a paradigm shift in my thinking in relation to my self-centeredness and and selfishness um to be able to assist someone else um you know and i just i I just like anyone else any other alcoholic or addict who um you know thoroughly follows the the path um it, it started to work and um you know, I, I came to believe in a power greater than myself and initially that was um the programme of Narcotics Anonymous and, and and AA and um you know, I believed in my counselor and I had to believe in my sponsor and um but now I believe in a in a power that's greater than myself and that's um you know, trying to live by the spiritual principles of, of the recovery programme and um you know, I, I just think back now to um you know, to having sort of no understanding of my dad's faith and my and my mum's faith. Um and now we have a shared experience in faith because it's you know the spiritual principles that they truly believe in, and um, you know so there are there are a lot of things that I've faced um, you know on a daily basis like we all do in life um, you know uh, good bad and indifferent and um, you know today um, you know as a result of um, you know of everyone's support and of, of, of the program of recovery. Um, you know like I don't mind myself today um and it's the self respect it's, it's 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 the change like I needed to change yeah. I had to change and I wanted I want to change and um and that's why I sort of commit um a part of my life on a daily basis to recovery and um and uh you know because um without that you know history tells me that um you know I'm in a pretty bad beep. place yeah. and um and 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 so is everyone else around me so you know I wake up with um with with an attitude of gratitude you know I really do those gratitude lists early on they they yeah. seemed uh you know just just a just a procedural thing but um you know you, you know clearly there are some things that i that i'm I'm grateful for but I'm really grateful for most of life today and um yeah i um you know i I found the solution to to my disease yeah. um, That's a day at a of time
0: yeah that sounds great really good uh great recovery. Okay, well, we're just about at the end of our show. Um, So I'd like to thank you for coming in today, Rich. Thanks for having me, Bill. Um, And for sharing your NA recovery story. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us next week. We'll be talking about um, recovery from the family disease of alcoholism uh, with Alan on Family Groups.